Today we'll be interviewing Vermin Supreme about his his rise through Potus, his different satirical tactics, things of that nature, playful protest, uh, real world branding, and pony currency. Without further ado, Vermin Supreme. I am in Colorado Springs tonight. Where are you at? Uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts. Okay, excellent, excellent. Hey, that's better. I can see mo- mountains from here. Oh, yeah. Yep. yeah. Very nice. Very oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, you, you are actually running for political offices, aren't you? Um, well, yes. Yes. Simultaneously, all at the same time. Right. Um, so, you know, what, what I have done is, I, I believe it's accurately described as uh, I have achieved a communication strategy uh, that is based on absurdity and satire and humor and foolishness and uh, a little bit of surreal, a little bit of discordia, a little bit of uh, dada. And just you know, sort of mixing it all up, and um, and running for president, which is a very small niche, quite frankly. Right on. You know, um, you know, yeah, sure, maybe uh, you know, up to you know, two thousand Americans might say they're running, and there's a beautiful thing about running for president because it's a self-declarative statement. Once you say the magic words, "My name is so and so," I'm running for president, it becomes an, a fact, indisputable fact. Nobody can disprove it because it becomes reality uh, if you're halfway serious. Now, you don't have to get votes, you don't have to get money, you don't have to register with the FEC, but just the fact that, you know, you're, you're saying you're running, it pretty much makes it a real thing. And so I've used that little uh, nugget to, you know, promote this agenda. And by presenting my, um, you know, my concerns about the, uh, the police state, the surveillance state, and um, the nanny state, and all of these things by, you know, talking about them through mandatory toothbrushing laws. Right. And the secret, and the secret dental police and the dental re-education centers. And, um, you know, I've, I've been promoting that whole narrative uh, long before the Patriot Act was, was even came in. So I, I feel like uh, I've been vindicated on some weird little level, at a terrible level at that. Because, you right. Know, uh, so can I, how do, like, police deal with you when you're doing this do they bother you or do they laugh at you or are they with you it's over the years it's always i've always had incredible uh luck uh operating with uh with 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 what i do on the level i do and in maintaining my uh character when i'm doing it um you know uh uh, because you know I, i take it out onto the streets uh been to many many uh, conventions and uh, inaugurations and, and big political demonstrations for many years, okay. and, and because I, you know, show up with the boot on my head, and you know, I'm talking sense through the bullhorn. That it's. Um, have you have you seen the movie Who Is Vermin Supreme? No, I have not. 
That's amazing, man. There's been some really tense Maybe that's what we should be doing when people are protesting now, when we want them to do something instead of firing rubber bullets and all this other crap at them, right? Oh, could, couldn't agree more. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a several-prong approach. Uh, part of it is that the easiest part and the most uh, successful part, I think, is crowd safety. Uh, essentially, you're acting as a master of ceremonies. You're sort right. of welcoming people. You're trying to the tone. It's a little bit of a peacekeeping type of thing. Um, and you, you, you give, you know, safety information. But, you know, if you have asthma, you may want to move upwind because, the, you know, the cops could start firing tear gas. And, and, right, and right. It, it could be very bad. If you wear contacts, you should remove those contacts. Uh, you know, if the police charge, you know, walk, don't run. Um, mm-hmm. And sort of just sort of going off the list of, of things that could happen and that they should be aware of and, you know, watching out for their fellow citizens and, and know who where their friends are and watch everybody's back. And uh, just that type of info, which can avoid, could, because crowd panic is dangerous. You oh, don't yeah. want stampede, you don't want a mob. Um, and so, you know, just by letting the people know that what could happen and, and, and then reaffirming their rights by, you know, expressing the First Amendment. And then I'll read uh, various riot control manuals to the police. Uh, and that has another effect where it sort of lets the police know what I expect of them as uh, professional oppressors or whatever and uh, and it lets right. the people know that that we know that you know what what their limits are supposed to be um and uh you know and, and the fun thing about that is of course because it's a line of riot cops uh generally they're not going to attack you until uh they're ordered to do so and right. so i treat them as they're, they're like a, a captive audience essentially and and they are because they can't even they could leave if they want to right they right. can't they can't leave the piss if they have to uh that they could be chafing they could be out there in the sun for all day um and so it's, it's you know rehumanizing the cops to the protesters, rehumanizing the protesters of the cops. You know, sometimes I'll just tell the cops, you know, listen, I understand if, if your CO orders you to charge, you know, you, yeah, fine, do do what mm-hmm. you're to, do what you're trained to do, but you don't have to hurt anybody. You right, know? You, right. You don't have to swing sticks so hard that you're like right. skull. You know, right, right. Just trying to root people or whatever. Right. Um, and yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, feel, I really want to get back on the streets, and I feel bad I haven't been out there uh, the COVID uh, and the, the George Floyd. Uh, well, well, yeah, people have, you know, having cameras and things and just the information that comes in now. I always want to have conversations kind of like this with, with some people like my grandparents, they'll be like, well, it was much better back in our day. And I was like, it, it, well, it <laughs> you probably didn't know about it is why it was better. Right. If that yeah, makes I mean, sense. Also it, it depends what, what metrics you're using. How right. You're looking at it. it um, depends nationality. You know, yeah. How you define, uh, you know, what is normal, what is good. Right. Uh, all of those things. It, it's, you know, it, it's certainly relative, but I believe that just so many, uh, outrageous things have occurred. It's certainly, uh, the, the ongoing, uh, murder of, of black civilians uh, yes. by law enforcement. Yes, um, which just, is just no good. Yeah. I mean, they, they, plenty of white people are killed too in, right. in terrible ways. I mean, that, that right. poor Daniel, whatever his name was, crawling down the hallway in a hotel, begging for his life while the cop was playing Simon Says and then they shot him dead anyway. Right. Um, it's really, there's so many outrages and and, uh, and it's like, okay, what, what, what do we got going on here? We got the the totalitarian surveillance police state uh, creeping up on us. We've got the, and the environmental collapse. Right. Simultaneously, um, which is like, okay, more mega storms, uh, uh, more effects of climate change. Well, right. Earthquakes, be- all of that. Yeah. And it's really overwhelming. I think it's and terrifying. I fully understand why, uh, people and young people uh, in particular are just freaked, uh, out. And then, and then COVID, and right, then COVID right, rolls right, upon. Right. And that just blows the socks off of everything. It's, yeah. I mean, it couldn't have been engineered to be a more, uh, you know, more serving the, the agenda of, you know, uh, depersonalization and, and, and not bonding with your fellow people and not hugging and not touching and, right. and socially distancing yourself. And, and that just sort of feeds into its, you know, its own neuroses. It's, uh, it's, you know, the fear, it's, uh, it's just uh, crazy. And uh, right. I, I try and remain optimistic. And um, That's the best thing you can do. I try and present, you know, love and mutual aid and compassion uh, as alternatives uh, to, these, to these things. Um, I've always felt as an anarchist, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we can disengage from the government, but we need to be able to pick up the slack and, and replace the services and systems that seem to be claimed to be provided by, by the government. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, dude, so I, as I mentioned earlier, you know, was, I, I, I've been essentially for the past 30 years, it had been a fully pretend campaign. Right. Uh, but this, this last election year was literally my first real, actual, serious campaign. Uh, I was seeking the Libertarian Party nomination. And so I wasn't even running for an office. I was running for uh, a nomination, which was a, a different thing. And I was running for it in a very serious fashion. I, I was hoping to achieve that goal. Whereas every other year, it's like, I'm running for this, I'm running for that. But I wasn't really, and I wasn't expecting to. Uh, but, in, in, and, and once again, I was successful in that. Uh, even though it was pretend, I got on the ballot in New Hampshire, you know, paid the $1,000 to get on the ballot. Mm-hmm. In 2012, I came in third place on the Democratic primary ticket. In 2016, I came in fourth on the Democratic primary ticket. I, I got more votes than a, a, a former governor who was actually on the ballot, a Republican. Right. Um, so there's, it, 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 and it does exist in the real world. You know, it's just not an internet meme show. 
joke. It's me going out there and interacting with the, the whole thing in an improv fashion and trying to elicit uh, responses by asking ridiculous questions. Um, and, you know, it's just a part of this weird little formula thing that, that, uh, that happened together. But what it did by doing that for so long, it gave me this level of notoriety right. and, and audience and reach that I was able to make a, a fairly what I believe to be a legitimate offer of my services as a candidate uh, to the Libertarian Party. Right. And, uh, it, and that in and of itself was uh, uh, amazingly successful, I think, for what it was, uh, for making that transition between uh, not real and totally real. Uh, we developed an amazing campaign staff, probably had uh, up to uh, more than 100 volunteers uh, at the peak of it, and uh, develop, And we, we attracted people from the left and the right sides of the, of the Libertarian Party, and they all believed that this sort of nonlinear, humor-based, uh, satirical messaging approach was, in fact, uh, a legitimate and des not a desirable way to propel the party forward. And so that was, you know, uh, pretty amazing that that uh, that so many people start to feel very passionately about what I was doing uh, to on a level that uh, they wanted to make a go of it. And we were able to raise more money, uh, like uh, I think close to sixty thousand dollars, which was more than I had spent on all thirty years prior combined. That's amazing. And attended like all these state conventions where I was, you know, meeting people and trying to make them understand and see the wisdom of what it was, uh, that was, that was in my offer that I was making. Um, you know, there was a lot of concern. They were very concerned that that would make the party look like a joke. Right. And so we started, you know, this messaging, uh, campaign in on the joke hashtag in on the joke and trying to explain to them uh that you can get ahead of it by owning the joke you right. know if the, the libertarian party has said yes this is our joke you know right the, duopoly, the elections have become a joke and right. here's our joke right with love and spite boom <laughs> and uh, you know it had such it, it, you know, it still may have great potential in the future uh but obviously uh we really believed in what we we're doing and um, it was by uh, you know we, we did not get the nomination, but ultimately at the nominated convention, we made it into the final round. There was four rounds of voting because they do the ranked choice, right? And um, made made it to the fourth ballot. Fourth ballot, and I came in third, and uh, with with twenty percent of a thousand delegates. Well, that's that amazing. Would, yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, uh, for sure, and. Uh, and since that time, uh, a lot of people are are on board even more. And, and the moment the momentum we had going into that convention, there it was undeniable. And a lot of it, if not most of it, was from outside of the party. Just uh, just the, just imagine the other people that you inspire to even try to do that with what you're doing. Uh, there is that. Yes, you I know? mean, I, I I can't deny that people have been inspired have you have you if you looked there is i think somebody running for different offices in the uk by the name of buckethead now yes sir lord buckethead <laughs> yes. for many years okay and, uh, and i have actually uh worked with him oh that is amazing hampshire, in the new hampshire primary uh -huh. uh, we were working on the streets together that is amazing and, uh, 
and I am working on a couple other uh, video projects with Lord Buckethead. That right is amazing. Now, as we speak, and it, it is pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, it's just very, very cool. And uh, and and when I did not receive the nomination, mm-hmm. um, we we had a campaign staff, but I didn't need a campaign staff. So we had to. And, but there was all these people that were very much invested in what we had done and was very much interested in continuing uh, this type of outreach and this type of education and stuff. And so um, we were trying to figure out a way to do it, and we decided the best way to do it was to add the word institute to the end of my name. Vermin Supreme Institute? And that is exactly what we have done. That's amazing. actual thing we're registered uh, 501c4 i think and um we are i know you know we're, we're trying to do stuff and i but i think one of the most uh, more successful things that we've done to date is uh part of the project that was part of our campaign but we carried it over and it's called uh, disrupt the vote awesome and and what we do is uh, because a lot of people on our staff have had a lot of experience uh with electoral politics, okay, we can, we're able to offer um, advice. Um, we we help people prep for debates. Uh, we help people come up with uh, narratives. Um, we, we we offer to share our resources, like our media lists and things of that nature, and help amplify their message. And that has been uh, successful. We worked with uh, I think eight candidates uh, this this cycle. Uh, we had Adam Carbone, who uh, was running for mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and he went to the debates wearing a hot dog costume. <laughs> okay. And, and he, his opening was singing uh, the, 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 he spelled out Cranston, Rhode Island to the tune of the Oscar Mayer theme song. So That's it's pretty like, awesome. My city has a, a, a first name, it's C-R-A-N-S-T-O-N. <laughs> right. Um, uh, but, you know, it's... It, uh, not everybody is really, you know, we, we, although we enjoy really far out candidates, um, right. um, we, we don't push that upon them. You know, we right. also have a Ian Peak, and uh, we did a little benefit for him on the internet uh, and raised uh, over a thousand bucks in a couple hours for his campaign. Oh and um, we have people running for, you know, just different offices that we have regular meetings with. And, uh, and so it, it, it is a, it is a thing. Um, it was never not a movement. I mean, it was just, and I don't know. I don't think it is now. I think it could have been if I was actually the nominee. I think, I think we could have seized that uh, lightning in a bottle and made that happen. Right. Uh, but it's just very nice to know that um, that I still have people who are continuing uh, working with me and, and for me and. Uh, autonomously and, and they're all doing things 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 i don't even keep tabs on and things i don't even know about but i you know i know they're doing it uh, with under my name and um it's, it's all really good it was a very interesting year me running for office i learned a lot you know i had to uh be a whole a sort of a different character because they didn't want to see the you know they knew the vermin supreme character but right. they uh, they needed to see the serious candidate and and the debates were just such a different thing a different way to try and i had to really try and find a balance between you know what was you know funny and what was serious and what needed to be said and how and you know still trying to have my jokes but then actually give them what they needed to hear to consider me seriously right 
right. So, so like when you go into these de- debates or you're considering like these political offices and you mention the idea of love or anything like that, how do those people react? Um, I, I believe uh, the, the audience, I, I think they're, they're in, the, in the Libertarian Party, especially because, you know, there are these negative stereotypes and negative tropes and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, oh, they're all greedy and, and they've got theirs and fuck you and all that. Right, uh, right. But, you know, and I, once again, you know, it took me a long time to get to a point. You know, I come from a left anarchist perspective, you know, right. going uh, Kropotkin, Love and Lefty, and, uh, you know, still have a great affinity uh, for that. Uh, but I, it, it took me just so many years. I used to badmouth libertarians my, my own self. Um, you know, I, I used to say they had no soul. But after <laughs> working with them over the years uh, up in New Hampshire, uh, there's the Free State Project, that where a lot of uh, libertarians have moved to try and uh, alter the balance of the politics up there. Okay. Uh, so, because I was involved in New Hampshire so much, uh, I started touching base with them. And uh, in 2012, we did a, a, a Occupy the primary. Right. It was like the sort of the tail end of the Occupy uh, actions. And... Uh, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. So, so we had all the sort of lefty Occupy Wall Street leaning types. And then we had all the libertarian free stater types. And uh, we would be out there protesting the same candidates. You know, we would right. be out there screwing with Rick Santorum and we'd be out screwing with Newt Gingrich uh, for different reasons. Uh, but nonetheless, um, at any moment, the two uh, you know groups, which sort of are sort of opposite, but uh, because it's New Hampshire and it's a small state, it's like almost everybody knows everybody right. who's been critically active. So there's not that, you know, that hate and acrimony that you'll see in a lot of other places of people on different sides. Um and any any split second, it could turn into a, a ver- they could join forces and become a vermin supreme rally. It was a it, yeah. it was pretty fun. Yeah. And uh, my campaign, uh, the, the the woman we were staying with uh, that year, uh, she was working with the Free State Project, and uh, she had uh, been in an accident and, and was paralyzed, uh, uh, and was had to use a wheelchair. Uh, and the community came together and helped her and, and made her make, have that transition. That's and, phenomenal. Uh, so, you know, I started to see uh, compassion in the libertarian community. And I started, you know, and the more I started attending some events, uh, the more I met some really nice people uh, who sort of disproved a lot of the negativity. Now, once again, don't get me wrong, there's still plenty of assholes uh, who claim to be libertarians or, or are or are active in the Libertarian Party. There, there's right. no shortage of assholes. However, um, the, those people who were, you know, who saw the, the possibilities and saw um, the good that I could do, you know, it, it was a little bit of a culture shift. You know, we were all, we were trying to, uh, you know, because when I was, uh, you know, an anti-libertarian or, or quasi against libertarian anarchist, you know, I very much loved the idea of mutual aid. You know, helping each other, helping uh, mm-hmm. ourselves by helping each other. Community. And I was, oh, and of course the libertarians are more about charity. And I always had this criticism uh, that, you know, charity is more top down, it's throwaway, it has this sort of hierarchical tinge to it. And so I, I, that's why, you know, I prefer, you know, uh, solidarity, mutual aid over charity. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but I, I always felt I didn't want to let the libertarians talk to my secret. I didn't want to tell them about mutual aid because I was afraid it would be co-opted and they would make, make it mean something different. Uh, but then a few short years later, boom, um, you know, I, 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 it was a cornerstone of my campaign. Uh, every debate, I was, you know, hammering home uh, mutual aid, compassion, and, and love as a way, as an alternative uh, to get through things. So, so let me ask you, how do we get uh, get around this curve that is 2020 and get people to engage each other compassionately, lovingly, and hell, even making better communities, you know? How do we do that? How do we do it? Well, you know, <laughs> um, we, we just got to start small and build from there, you know, and start with their own little family units and, and try and, you know, exercise our infinite patience with one another and try and be kind with one another and, and try and, you know, spread that out uh, community by community and start uh, networking and knitting it all together. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I've always believed that, you know, once again, we can disengage if we can build up the structures and you know, they're I'm often asked, you know, well, how can we scale that up? How can we, you know, how can we scale up this sort of uh, mutual aid charity model to cover everybody? And I, I think it's probably more important to decentralize the centralized nature of the society um, okay. into smaller units that, are, that can be manageable. Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that sort of drew me to the Libertarian Party is that, you know, I mean, they're, they're well, number one, it's a political party that's comprised of minarchists and anarchists trying to dismantle the state. And, um, you know, the, the others that it, it had that affinity that, uh, that we're looking at a post-state society. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's, you know, it's, a, it's really utopian. You know, I don't think we're going to see a post-state society anytime soon or even our lifetimes but i think it's important to uh work with people who share that type of vision who, who see the way uh things could be and, and even if that doesn't even if their ideas of uh utopia uh don't necessarily agree uh you know we we do agree that there are certain steps that need to be taken in order to get there okay and, uh, you know, uh, at some of the debates, you know, you'd hear a, a candidate would, would start, you know, day one when I'm president, we're going to end Medicare, we're going to we're going to end Social Security, we're going to abolish the FDA, we're going to abolish the CDC, we're going to abolish the IRS, the F and all these things. And yeah, okay, you, you can say those things, and they're ultimately true. Uh, they're consistent with the uh, you know a, a vision of. A, a world where we did not need those things, but unless you're going to be able to present some sort of alternative or some sort of transition uh, on how to get there and articulate it with examples, uh, people are just going to think you're a crackpot. You know, you're going to turn right. people off, and and, uh, and I think that's a you know part of the problem that a lot of people have with the Libertarian Party. Libertarians they they, they hear these hard line uh, demands. And, uh, you know, and, and nobody wants to be an incrementalist, but, you know, the, the option, op, you know, what's the other option? Just pulling the, the rug out and, you know, having a total collapse of society and see what shakes out. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's it, not it's, good. Yeah. 
I mean, it almost seems like, you know, I mean, it's, some people see that, you know, that we're heading in that direction or some shit, but, um, hopefully we will be able to pull it all together. This 2020 year has been very, very interesting. I, I think, uh, whoever is programming the simulation is, uh, is, uh, getting a little goofy. Yeah, they're getting really goofy. So, did did you happen to watch the debate the other night? I listened to the debate. What did you think of that? Outrageous and terrible. Right. Horrible. Okay. I mean, crap. I mean, I mean, yeah, it had its... Uh, uh, there is some amusing entertainment... Yeah, but you're not. We're not watching TV to to be entertained by that. It should be informative, and it, yes. it got turned into like pro wrestling promo time or something. Yeah, and it was like what? It, it was super. Once again, just frightening. Is yeah. Uh, yeah, that that's the reality that they they are presenting to us. Oh yeah. Um, well, it seems to be distraction, distraction, and then we're gonna hit you with the right hook and do this over here or something. It just it's sure. it is it's like. Uh, Frank Zappa used to say, you know, that the politics is the entertainment division of the uh, in, uh, military industrial complex. <laughs> okay. Um, yep, that that was his, yeah, that was his take on it. That uh, makes sense. That, uh, yeah. And I so, yeah, so, so with that, I'm going to throw this out here. So apparently Trump tested positive for COVID today or yesterday. And I kind of, in the back of my mind, wonder if that's not a way to not have to debate, <laughs> to be honest. And it's, I'm not a fan of the guy. You know? Well, it, yeah, I mean, there's certainly no end to uh, plausible conspiracies. Right, right, right. For sure. I mean, you get the, uh, you know, oh, uh, you know, the, the 9-11. I mean, that's, it's plausible because, you know, a lot of scientists say it's plausible and it didn't seem quite real. But on the other hand, you start to think about, what a overarching conspiracy that would take to make such a thing. I, 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 I don't know if they're all conspiracies. I think we have a lot of greedy people with a lot of hatred in their hearts, and it may be collusion, you know, at some stages of the game, but I, I, I yeah, think true, it, it's too, true, they're too stupid to... Like Pearl Harbor, they saw it coming but ignored it. Well, well, think about a lot of people don't even know what the Gulf of Tonkin is, Right. Um, which I think was close to the Bay of Pigs or something like that, which was us trying to take over, uh, I believe, Cuba or something like that and failing. Yeah, and Dolphin was, uh, was uh, what started the Vietnam War. Right, uh, okay. Remember the main. Yeah, there's no shortage of, of false flags, and, and that's right. what makes all the other theories seem plausible. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fact. The CIA discussed blowing up residential. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hotel, residential fucking buildings in Miami to start a worth Cuba. Well, and th think about them. think about the only North Contra contraband scandal with Highway Ricky Ross. You know how that went down. Most people that you stop on the street today have no idea what I'm talking about when I mention this, right? Yeah. Do you, you know what I'm talking about in the Reagan era? Sure, sure. The Dolly North is fucking and, front and center. Right, man. Well, and when you look at stuff like right. that. Right, and all that it was hidden. How can people not arrive at these other conclusions? You know what I mean? That are just this oh, far yeah, out right. here. I completely. When after so many years, it's like yeah. the panel says, well, you know, maybe uh, the JFK thing. Well, yeah, it right, could right. have been a conspiracy or the murder of uh, Martin Luther King. Yeah, could more people right. have been on it. Right. Um, 
Just so, yeah, there's no telling. Just uh, imagine if people had the facts for some of these things. Like, we're in a crazy time right now where it seems like people are super driven to the idea of conspiracy theory on all yeah. sides. And it gets to where, for me, that's pretty terrifying, too, because we have devices that you can really justify anything by looking it up on Google, and there's going to be something, you know, that, that says, yes, your neighbor's an alien or something to that effect. And it seems like, like, I'm 40, right? So I was around when 9-11 happened. I was pretty young. But I was reading books about things and researching them. And I don't think that happens so much now. And there's tons of non-credible sources. It's, it's, uh, I feel like people are reaching for that information. And they're in these baby steps. And we get hung up in these narratives that are provided for us. And... And then, you know, and then we're out ravenous, running around like crazy people. And it's just like. Absolutely. The, yeah, tons, tons of bunk info. You know, oh, it, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's not even info wars. It's pure disinfo wars and, and right. misinfo wars. That's oh, what yeah. it, it is. Um, you know, I mean, to find the actual information, it's, it's a little harder, but there, there's so much noise. And it's right. just adding to this uh, a lot of stress in. in uh, in people's heads, I think, when it's so hard to discern what's reality and what's not reality. Right. Right. I, I think it's, you know, and, and you've got to look, there's so much oppression that's gone on through what minimum wage being the same for 20 years to, to these other, these other things that are oppressive. And so whenever you're oppressed, right, you know, you're going to latch on anything you can for that relief a lot of times. And I believe that's a lot of what we're seeing right now from, um, from minority people to even, you know, police officers, you know, acting like fools and, yeah. you, you know, killing African-Americans and things of that nature. And, and just to our politics and the powers that be. One of the, the takeaways that I was reading something the other day and they were like, you know, there's been never a form of government that was in control they kept taking steps of control that after they got that control, they relinquished it. And I think we failed to remember that. Oh yeah, no, the consolidation of power is certainly yeah. a thing, yeah. and um, which is what you were talking about, yeah, trying yeah, to decentralize and, and, things. And once again, and you uh, sort of alluded to it earlier, so the the, the boiling frog um, idea, where you know the frog, you can put the frog in a, in a pan of water, and if you heat it up gradually, it won't jump out, it won't even notice, it just gets hotter and hotter. Right. And uh, you know, there, there's this scientific. Uh, you know, just the way humans perceive things. They forget the, thing, the way things were. They forget the way that, you know, they accept the way things are as the way they've always been. Well, and, you, you know, we have dopamine devices in our cell phones, right? Star Trek communicators, basically, really. Um, and so I really, I feel like there are forced narratives there. And I, I don't know if people understand control, but I know, understand they're forcing these narratives, or if it's just this greed thing that we're always right, you know? It, it's, I don't know. I, I come back to, how do we fortify these communities, you know? And I agree with this. Starting small does help. I think it's a lot of grassroots stuff. Yeah, I think it's work, you know, finding people you trust that you that you resonate with. and um, But yeah, I mean, the same information is true of like uh, all, all you QAnon fans out there. Hey, y'all should get together and, and study the crazy shit. Right, right. Uh, but, you know, hopefully, you know, it, it's a bunch of level-headed people and uh, people that you know and trust and, and people with various skills. I mean, uh, I've noticed, you know, <laughs> canning supplies are almost impossible to... Uh, 
obtain right about now. Very, right. Very right. I, I, the liquor store that I go to on occasion, uh, a lot of times doesn't get a lot of different beers in due to aluminum not being super available due to COVID, I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very, it's, I mean, it's just this reminder how sort of fragile uh, the infrastructure is in a way, you know, yeah. if the trucks okay. ever started running or, well, I guess they, it, it gets, it gives a good argument for the general strike, you know, just to shut, turn things off for a little bit. But, uh, it, it's, uh, it is interesting because people got very panicked at the beginning of the COVID and oh, yeah. you know, the toilet paper hoarding and, and <laughs> the, the idea that, uh, the society might break down. Right. So, so, so can I ask you, um, so what you're, what you're doing started as performance art and now it's become a more serious beast, right? I, I suppose so. Or, I mean, okay. I think it's, I think it is still a, a performative. Okay. Okay. I, I still think it's art. I still think it's satire. It is. And, you know, and I, you know, but it's like, I've had to, sort of pull away the, the fourth wall or pull back the curtain a little right. bit or more on it. Um, I always felt it was incredibly more funny when it was just, when the only videos you saw was like me being in character, interacting with the other politicians. And, well, yeah, and, the first video I think I saw of you was in like 2014, which I think eventually was accompanied by these memes, you know? And yeah. I was like, what is that? You know, and it was, to be honest... For politics is one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen in my life, regardless of what party you're you're going for. Yeah, you know, right. 2012 I went viral. I yeah, yeah. Was that, that was that a, an accumulation of like memes and things, or how did that work out? Um, well, you know, it, in 2012 yeah, I had been running since '92, so I had uh, right, you know, almost 20 years under my belt of uh, of campaigning. Yeah, and um, so I, I had, you know, I had my bits down i've been working with that same material that was my stump speech uh, vermin scream the friendly fascist the time you can trust let me run your life i know what is best for you all politicians are vermin i am the vermin supreme and that is why i'm the most qualified candidate in this race at this time i will promise you anything your little heart desires you are my constituents you are the informed voting public i have no intention of keeping any promise that i make i will and you know I, and so i've been really sort of using that same uh, stump speech and and the toothbrushing law had been developing over the years and the, the free pony thing was more recent um, and it's very odd because you know uh, in 2008 was the first year that I was eligible to take part in that debate okay. uh, anybody who pays a thousand bucks who's a, a who's not a, a major candidate in another debate can be in that debate and so uh, me and my wife were driving up there in 08 and we got waylaid by a blizzard, so we were not able to make it. And uh, it's just as well because I didn't really have a plan. I was just going to go up and sort of talk about you know what I do and stuff like that. Uh, so it really worked out because in the re intervening four years between 08 and 12, uh, a bunch of things sort of happened that really worked into my advantage. Number one was Obama was up for re-election. Re in 08, he was super shiny new. In 2012, there was like, oh, Obama, jeez. Um, mm -hmm. in, uh, in those intervening years, uh, Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings movies occurred. Right. And so all, all of a sudden, there was this wizard uh, meme in the culture, this mm -hmm. big beard meme. Right. Uh, the fact that um, in the in those uh, in the four years 
of course, Randall Terry, uh, who's this rabid uh, right-wing homophobe uh, anti-abortion activist, right. uh, he decided to run as a Democrat. Oh, wow. For some, for some reason, uh, and to, to screw with Obama and to be able to run his graphic abortion ads during the Super Bowl was his main goal. Everybody's got to have a reason. That's insane. Uh, and so, uh, so that happened. Um, and, uh, and, oh, and another thing, in oh, hey, I had, uh, my beard was much shorter. It was, it was, it was cropped. It wasn't wizard-like because it was come off this, uh, making this movie, Vote Jesus, going undercover as a right-wing, uh, fundamentalist, uh, anti-sodomite candidate named Ken Stevenson. And, um, so, so there was that part of it. So, you know, all these things are, oh, and the whole migration of media. Because between right, right. in 2012, and right. all the media became digital. Right, right, right. I was doing and podcasts in that time period, and it was it was pretty. It was, a, it it was, was a huge transition. It was amazing, actually. Once again, people, people, you know, you look back, it's like, oh, it's always been like this. No, year. it has not. No, and so twelve. Oh. Really be integrated into the the news uh, world, I guess, mm -hmm. and so those things all happened. And the fact that Randall Terry's his last name was uh, next to Supreme, so we sat next to one another. Oh wow! Um, all, all, and, and I knew I was, you know. And so in twenty in oh eight, I wasn't prepared, but in twenty twelve, I was prepared. You know, I I, I memorized the mandate toothbrushing law i you know i memorized the pony stuff um you know there, there was things that i was i was just much more prepared and okay. of course uh, and i knew i wanted to do something special for uh for randall terry but i didn't know what i mean my, my run out i, I was going to use a a, a water pistol that was shaped like a penis that was my original <laughs> thing i was I, and, until like almost yeah. the night the night before the debate i i thought to myself, wait a minute, what, didn't somebody throw glitter on, on a politician a few weeks back? And I looked it up, and yeah, uh, the, the glitter bombing had just started, and it just became this bad. And so that morning, I went out to my wife's craft shack and filled my pockets full of glitter. And um, and then I glitter bombed the hell out of Randall Terry at that, the end of the That is amazing. And that's what, what I think is more amazing is how actually positive that is. You know, to do, because I'm just imagining the guy you're talking about, Randall Terry, is probably extremely negative and, and just insane, just, you know, sexist, racist piece no, surprisingly, of shit. Surprisingly, he's amiable. Surprisingly, he's charismatic. Well, how, how did he deal with the glitter bomb? Um, well, it, essentially, I mean, the glitter bombing was, uh, I afterwards realized it was an act of dominance and submission. Right. I realized I had put him in a position where his options were extremely limited. Right, right, right. I mean, he could have got up and left. Right. Got up and lost his shit, maybe swung on me. Right, right, right. Or sat there. Ultimately, those are the only three choices I think that he had. And he's politic enough to know that I think he knows that if he left, it wouldn't have looked good. I think he knows that if he um, lost his shit, it would not look good. And he knew, you know, he, he because he uh, he sat next to me during the whole debate. He was not thrilled by it, <laughs> by this guy with a, a boot on his head, you know, giving him the stink eye and mimicking him when he's waving his hands around, gesticulating. Good for you. So, um, you know, I don't think he was surprised. I mean, I think he understood the context that it was occurring in. 
Okay. Okay. And he's like I say, he's very politic. Right. I think he right. realized that that was the best option he had. Uh, even after the debate, we shook hands while I threw a little more glitter on him, and, <laughs> and he, he was a pretty good sport about it. Uh, one of his supporters came up and threatened me uh, oh. on video. On video, it was ridiculous. I mean, the guy's like, "Mr. Terry's a great man. We're gonna, we're gonna kick your ass." <laughs> Whatever, guy. <laughs> yeah, I would have been like, "Well, you're gonna do that after you go to jail for doing it because you're on video. Do your homework." <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so no, that was and it was it was very interesting in oh because in oh eight also or no, maybe it was even oh four when the uh, Democratic National Convention was in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, I do this thing at the checkpoint sometimes where I say, you know, attention, please, welcome to the checkpoint, uh, and I'll name the politician that, that's uh, that's there. Whatever. Checkpoint Obama, I think it was checkpoint Kerry that year. Okay. It's like. Please be prepared. To, you know, please have your security credentials ready for immediate inspection. Please have your dental records for casual perusal. Please be prepared to remove your shoes for national security. Please loosen your belts and be prepared to drop your, to remove your pants and uh, bend over and get ready for your full body cavity rectal search. Remember, it is in the name of national security and it is covered by Obamacare. So, um, so is and, and, is is that are, are you like within that statement? Are you addressing the rights that people have lost? I think so. Yeah, I, I think okay. that's okay. I think that's accurate, and I think it's uh, uh, the willingness of people to go along with the, uh, the whole. You know, Simon says, uh, right. as long as right. you're, you're, if you're an authority figure, you know, if you're the TSA, uh, you know, raise your hands above your your hands. TSA says, right. Oh, right. Did, uh, um, so yeah, I think it's 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 that kind of critique. But, you know, I, I believe that you know. Um, yes, it's a, it's a challenge to authority, and it's a cha- it's an opportunity to make people laugh at authority um, and disarm well, you know, authority. You you know one of the things about about people laughing and about getting a message across is you need a candy coating in that ma- on that message to get it across. And I think you hit the nail on the head with it, man. Um, and it's yeah. yeah. It's a skill set, and it's oh, yeah. uh, you know, some strategies, and uh, you know, I, I feel like I've you know I've come by them sort of accidentally, but they're all genuine, and they all seem to work together. Yeah, and um, and I can, and and I, I've sort of discovered that you know the humor is what makes me because if I was like a just regular guy, regular clothes, mm-hmm. and talking serious shit at the same level I'm doing, it would be extremely aggressive. And right. right. For the, I mean, especially if I was approaching a politician or a cop. I mean, it, it would be with anger instead of humor. And love. So, in in this world we're in now, like, and this is kind of the same question I've been asking you. You know, it is, uh, you, you know, what what does equality look like in twenty twenty or twenty twenty one? I mean, how how do we get not only our culture but our politics into these ideas? Jeez. Uh, well, obviously. Uh, you you I, can I, say I, free I, I ponies. No obviously, I have no idea. Right, um, right. Uh, I, I'm a visionary, but I'm not a visionary well, like that. Well, well let, 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 let me rewind this and then okay, really sure. quick. So check this out. So how do we get people to want to, A, learn about each other? Because I find our racism and our sexism right now is because once we hit a certain age... We quit learning and we're afraid of things that are different and we're easily guided. 
Um, so how do we get people to be engaged and want to learn about new nationalities or want to go to another country and experience these things? You know, um, it's I, I find a lot of the stuff, and, and I don't know if you agree or not, is educational issues. It is pot racism is definitely pockets of society that are off over here generationally educating each other to these just bullshit ideas that they're better than somebody. Yeah, and and the, the same thing. I think you'll find the same thing with sexism. Um, and a lot of people don't even know they're doing that. But you know, I guarantee you, if you go into a corporate boardroom, that shit's running rampant. You know, uh, well, it's so and it's a pocket. It's, it's yeah, just so flat out ingrained right. uh, into the culture. Right. It's uh, it needs to be unlearned and needs to be uh, risen above. I guess. What What if we taught about like real history that you know Christopher Columbus is not a hero? He didn't find America. In fact, he was probably worse than Hitler. To the people in India that you know it just it, you know uh, I, I think we ha we really need to focus on our education I don't think there's quick oh, fixes yeah. I think it yeah. is I mean, generations uh, logical fallacies and uh, you know what what makes uh, argue I, it, it's hard to generalize because you know I mean, right, I, right. a lot of people you meet uh, you know they do have a hunger and desire to, to know about the world and, and travel the world um, you know I, I feel uh, odd about uh, people who have no such desire or people who have no... Well, man, I you know what I feel? I feel sorry for people that don't have that desire. And I look at, I look at it as a form of oppression. You know, I was born in a, a small town in Kansas, and I've lived all over this country, coast to coast. But I, I look at it as a form... You know, you don't have the money to do that, so after a while you start developing like this negative... Uh, narrative to that as to why you're not going to do that and I feel like yeah, I, don't, I feel like especially right here now is that that negative narrative is hugely promoted well, I, I, think a, I think a big part of it also has to do with the you know, generally people have, are on the treadmill because you know they've been uh, you know consumer society has right. made desire all these things and ex extend themselves and put themselves into debt and then have to have to, you know, have to work uh, 40 hours a week doing anything they can, uh, you know, to pay off their credit cards or pay, you know, pay, you know, essentially you write, you, your expenses rise to your level of earning, you know, you, you are earning just what you're spending, what you're earning, no matter how much it is pretty much. And it's, you know, it's the treadmill and you're so busy doing that. And it, and it seems like, it, you know, where it used to be, like it could be a, a one parent household, one, one, one person could be working to fly right. household. Right. So that's not feasible. No. And um, that's just in the people have so little time to that, uh, you know, that they're not working, number one. That they have, you know, to time to unwind, spend with their loved ones, uh, and then, you know, let alone learn, you know, try and expand where you're just trying to, oh shit, I gotta, you know, go home from work, gonna grab some dinner, gonna, gonna hang out for a few hours, you know, gotta sleep and do it again. Well, I mean, so, the time? And then weekends come and it's, yeah. So. so, 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 and that's something else that I've noticed is that we're so entrenched in this work that really doesn't pay off a whole lot. Um, I, th I think, especially since a lot of people aren't making that much money, you need to give in to them. Give them a smaller work week so they can go enjoy something so they're not locked in, unless this is actually part of some kind of mental prison system, which I think is 
not too far from the truth, right? Right. Yeah. Well, man, there's. Oh, I want to add to that. There's a lot of progress happening. If you go out and you look at the, the protests for systemic racism for George Floyd getting killed, or Breonna Taylor, or you know, any of that stuff, those protests are multi multicultural, right? And so there's a lot. There's a lot of progress right now, but it it tend it's hard to 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 focus on that progress because everything else is pretty damn negative. So I get it. Well, man, thank you. Yes. Um, okay. Well, uh, definitely check out. Can I? Can I do some plugs? Yeah. Do your plugs, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Check out my my campaign website because yeah, I'm still running an imaginary campaign for Senate of Massachusetts, I believe. Okay. Uh, I ran a writing campaign in the primary because uh, the all, the ballot was totally blank, and I figured, uh, yeah, write my name in. I think I have more people wrote my name in, so I won the primary. And uh, who knows? Whatever. Um, okay. Vermin Street 2020, that's my name, it's the year, so VermintSupreme2020.com. Uh, check out the Vermin Supreme, not the, the, the is implied, VermintSupremeInstitute.com, and that's the, check that out. Uh, who is VermintSupreme.com is the movie, and I think that will uh, direct you to that. iPonyTheBook.com. Uh, is a book that I wrote. It's a book about the future, long after a Vermin Supreme presidency, after everybody has their ponies, after zombie power fuels, this, after secret dental police have set up checkpoints every couple hundred yards. It is a warning from the people of the future to you, the people of their past, your present, that Vermin Supreme is a madman and must be stopped. Um, awesome. We have Team Supreme also has a podcast. Uh, Let this podcast run your life. Um, that I'm on that sometimes. Um, sometimes I'm not, but uh, sometimes I am. Right and so that that's fun. That's like a big team effort. People from the campaign, a spinoff. Uh, let's see what else we got going on. Sure, I'm forgetting something. I always do. Uh, man, so so it is. Right on. So bef- before we get off here, oh, I want to oh, ask oh, you. Cameo. I do cameo now. Okay, cool, man. I, I'm helping to finance the Institute by doing the cameo thing. Hey, there's a lot of people doing it. So can I ask you, uh, what kind of ponies would you give people? Any kind they want. Oh, shit. we will be taking their preferences. They could be mecha mechanical ponies. They can be uh, human-pony hybrids. They can be pony ponies. They can be giant uh, yeah, pony-human uh, hybrids. They could, uh, you know, they, they could... They could be a lot of things. They could be real tiny. I mean, a lot of people ask me, Vermin, is it true we're going to be using uh, ponies for currency? And I say, why that would be ridiculous until we can make them very, very small, of course. And I do have scientists working on that. But until that time, the thing to understand about a pony-based economy is that once uh, everybody, once all Americans have their free pony, um, well, essentially, once you have your pony, you own your pony, right? Okay, so you're owning a pony. And what does that imply? It implies that you have equity in your pony. So that means you could borrow against your pony. Okay, well, what does that mean? It means we're creating debt, a pony-based debt. Now, as you know, debt is a very, very important thing in any economy. 
economy. Uh, Wall Street uh, practically runs on it. Uh, uh, you know, countries own own each other's debt. Banks make all their money on debt. On, you know, I mean, so debt is pretty critical. You can buy it, you can sell it, you can buy it at a discount. Um, all that things. So pony-based debt, very important. Cool, and man. so we we can bring in all the bestest and the brightest from all the Ivy League schools, and they will be creating the most incredibly opaque, hard to understand uh, financial instruments. We'll call them uh, pony-based default swaps, uh, quantitative pony easements, all, all of these things. And uh, we'll be creating this giant bubble in the economy, a giant pony debt bubble. And of course, as we know, bubbles are an amazing thing when they are in your economy. I mean, everybody's making money. Wall Street's going through the roof. All, all pistons are firing. It's fucking amazing. Now, uh, of course, unfortunately, sometimes these bubbles burst. Okay, almost all the time, sure. But the thing to understand about this particular pony-based debt bubble is that this pony bubble is going to be reinforced, steel belted, and last forever. Thank you. I'm Vermin Spree. Awesome. What a one. There are two. There are two types of people uh, currently on the planet: those who love ponies, and those who will not survive transition times. We need to understand that. Well, right on, man. Do you have anything you want to add? Uh, well, I, I you know, I, I hate to be a buzzkill, and I, I, I don't want to say we're all doomed. Okay. So I, I, I want to say that. Um, Hopefully we'll make it through. Yeah, and, yeah. And I will say that you know we have certainly have some rough times ahead. We have rough times presently, rough times in the past, and um, I just hope that we can all be aware of uh, of uh, our neighbors and uh, who need help, and that we can help provide uh, for each other and see us uh, each other and see ourselves through. Uh, this particular trial and tribulation that we find ourselves in that let us call 2020. Um, you know, I've been pointing out that, you know, it hasn't been the, the government, hasn't been the feds that has been, uh, you know, floating the boat on the, the COVID. Uh, it's been people working in the people industries. It's been uh, people caring for people. It's been people uh, offering mutual aid and, you know, making shopping for their neighbors and doing all the things that they're supposed to be doing. Thanks for listening to Deep Americana with uh, Vermin Supreme. You know, uh, we schooled us on how to, how cultures have to have some kind of debt pony plan to sustain life, you know. I think that's an important message. With that, have a good evening.